This is Getting Lit with Linda Mora, the podcast where you can come and get lit, Canadian lit, that is. Join Linda as she talks about authors in Canada and sometimes with them, using her expertise to shed light on recent and not-so-recent writers. And now, get set for Getting Lit with Linda. Hi, this is Linda Mora, and you're listening to Getting Lit with Linda. For today's podcast, I'm looking at the Black Canadian playwright, Lorena Gale. As you'll know from listening to past episodes, I had already chosen this particular writer because, well, I love her work. And I've loved her work for many years, even though she seems to be someone who hasn't had a lot of traction or attention. She's also an appropriate writer, I think, in relation to Juneteenth in the United States. But I was already preparing to do some scholarly work on her for an academic book related to women authors in Canada and their archival papers. At the time, I was fascinated by how we could understand so much about particular women authors, not only by what they kept in the archive, but also by how their archives were developed and where they preserved their materials, if they were kept at all. Well, okay, so... One of the writers I wanted to work on was Lorena Gale. I not only love her writing, I thought she was an impressive person too. I actually did meet her in Vancouver at a conference related to women's autobiography and archives. Lorena's voice is one of the most powerful, evocative memories from that conference. She had this joyful, exuberant voice that reverberated throughout the venue for the duration of the conference. I just loved listening to her speak. She passed away in 2009, far too young at 51, with far too much yet to offer. But I'm grateful for having met her and for what she did leave behind for us. One of the things I was struggling with when I was writing this book was locating her archival papers. I never did find them. Still, I often think about this as a kind of missed opportunity. Anyone out there know where Lorena Gale's papers are? DM me, please. But I digress. Gail was this amazing Montreal-born actress, not just a writer, who studied at Concordia University and the National Theatre School. I love the fact that she also starred in Battlestar Galactica and made appearances on The X-Files and Stargate SG-1, of which, by the way, I'm a closeted fan. Gail was also clearly a sci-fi fan. She makes, for example, several Star Trek references in her play Je me souviens. More of that in a moment. She actually has two plays to her credit. One of these, Angélique, represents the story of the slave Marie-Joseph Angélique. The other play is the subject of today's episode, Je me souviens, which was published in 2001 by Talon Press. It's far more autobiographical, although both texts grapple with elements of Quebec history and culture. I'm fascinated by this latter play effectively a dramatic monologue, one I delight in for, among other reasons, its energy and attitude and exuberance. As I say, this one is personal to Gail, since it deals with her own experiences as a black Canadian woman who was born and raised in Montreal, Quebec. I'm going to begin by addressing the title, especially important for those outside of Canada who might not understand the meaning or the reference Je me souviens, which is French for I remember, and the fact that it's currently featured as a slogan on the license plates of Quebec. Now, we all know how these slogans work. 
they are identificatory markers. Many of us know which province or state is being referenced when, for example, we see the Golden State, that's of course California, or the Lone Star State, that's Texas, or yours to discover, that's Ontario. In the case of Quebec, the slogan is meant to convey a sense of national and civic pride, reclaiming a sense of agency for the province. Let's be clear, when I say national pride, I mean Quebecois national pride, not Canadian. Now you might think I'm going to veer off into English-French politics. I'll steer a little in that direction, but I'm not about to drive off the cliff. At least, not today. Lorena Gale won't let me, or at least her play won't, and we'll see why in a moment. The slogans on the license plates in Quebec changed in exactly 1978. In 1977, the slogan was actually La Belle Provence, the beautiful province. By the way, if you check out my Twitter feed, you'll see that that's the license plate that I've been circulating, this particular type, the one that precedes 1978. So the beautiful province was seen by some citizens of this province as a derogatory way of referring to it as a pretty little place, because it reinforced the myth of old Quebec, where things don't change, and we should also note the feminine designation, which has also been read as an implicit and patriarchal put-down, an externally imposed view of Quebec. I have a couple of photos circulating on social media to show you what the license plate used to look like and what they look like now, something that's more obvious for Canadian listeners, but not necessarily for those outside the country. I'm talking about license plate slogans not only because Gail references one of them in the title of her play, but also because we need to know this in terms of understanding the shift in Quebecois culture in the 1970s, a period to which Gail alludes in Je me souviens, and which she uses to contextualize and explain her own growth and maturity, and to recast the latter in broader terms. All I need us to know for today is that on November 16, 1976, the Parti Québécois, a separatist provincial-level party led at the time by Premier René Lévesque, swept into power. They won 71 seats in the National Assembly, a resounding victory compared to the six seats they won in 1973. I'm also circulating a graphic by Aislin, a renowned Montreal Gazette cartoonist, that's suggestive of the kind of shock that was widely experienced by the extent of the win. And again, that's on my Twitter feed. The Parti Québécois ran on a social democratic platform, organizing a campaign around good government and promising to hold a referendum about Quebec sovereignty. That is, as many English Canadians understood it, whether or not Quebec should separate from the rest of the country. And they were the party, that is the Parti Québécois, to institute these new license plates with Je me souviens inscribed on them. It has political connotations, of course. It's a declaration of and reclaiming of agency. You don't get to remember for me, it suggests. I'll remember my own history and I'll tell it the way I remember it. Now, we should remember the shifting license plates and what they mean in relation to Gail's life. By rendering this as the title of her play, she's also saying, I remember and I'll tell my own history. Gail locates her personal narrative in this period and earlier, also making reference to Martin Luther King and Malcolm X 
when tensions were high, and when the situation was especially complicated for a black woman born in this province. Of course, it still is, although the terms and its expression may have shifted somewhat. She's marking the shift in her own identity and agency by applying the motto, Je me souviens, to herself, as her own personal articulation, even as she also locates it in a larger Quebecois identity. The subtitle of the play captures it nicely. Memories of an expatriate, anglophone, Montrealaise, Quebecoise, exiled in Canada. I mean, it's a mouthful. A significant mouthful, though, because it reveals to us how complicated it was for her in terms of self-identification and her acts of remembering. Je me souviens, she would say, is difficult when defining the I against a predominantly white, patriarchal culture that would exclude her. So, she traces the entirety of her life, from her childhood, to her passionate adolescence and the first love of her life, to her political young adulthood, to the moment she lives in Vancouver. When she did live in Quebec, she notes that, geographically anyway, she and her mother lived in the city of Montreal in close quarters with immigrants. She describes both the Greek mothers who hollered after their children and the Italian men who sat, quote, drinking wine out on the stoop and smacking their kids for stealing a sip, end quote. I should say as an Italian-Canadian, I sort of love that part, although my father was such a mild-mannered and sweet man, it doesn't quite resonate with me. But here's the interesting part. Gail and her mother were not immigrants. And so, as she notes in the play, she's confounded by people who keep asking her, where are you from? Or worse. And these kinds of pejorative remarks, she observes, actually come from all quarters. Racism is a complicated, multifaceted process, she observes. One of the visual textual projections in the play thus reads as follows. When people ask me which island I come from, I say, Montreal, and they look confused. When people tell me to go back where I came from, I look confused. As she repeatedly asserts, I'm from here, I'm from Quebec. When the play opens, however, she's living in what she calls Lotus Land, that is, Vancouver, British Columbia, specifically on Commercial Drive, with, as she says, in great exasperation, unilingual English signs everywhere, and where you can buy, quote, pornography at the corner store, but not beer and wine, end quote. The journey back to Montreal is not quite literal as much as it is imaginative. It's a journey that she refers to as a ritual of love and remembrance that allows her to come to terms with a place that she absolutely adores, even as she's often approached there in racialized terms. As she reminisces with a friend in a Vancouver cafe about having been born and raised in Montreal, she is interrupted by a Montrealer, a young man, who overhears their conversation and accuses her of disparaging and knowing nothing about his beloved city. She responds in French, well, in joual, thus, Oh, je sais moi, je sais ce que toi aussi, et si je n'avais rien su, j'aurais eu le même droit de parler que toi. Oh, I know. I know as much as you, she says, and even if I didn't, I would still have the right to speak like you. Gail is appropriately feisty, throwing down the gauntlet from the play's outset. 
In that journey back, she charts the city's geographical terrain, impersonating the voice of Captain Kirk of Star Trek. She comments on the inhabitants of Little Burgundy. That's the industrial part of Montreal where the BIPOC community gathered and lived before the Haitian migration into Montreal in the 1970s, when there was then a shift to Montreal Nord. Gail is clear, though, that these geographical designations work along lines of race because, as she observes, quote, We have set a course for Outremont. Our mission? To see life in new neighborhoods, to boldly go where no black has gone before. The process of racialization doesn't just relate to geography. Her memories, for example, take her back to her first budding relationship with a young Quebecois man named Marcel, and the complexity of multiple racisms at work in that relationship at that time. He repeatedly reminds her that, quote, he loves me, but he won't speak English. He's a vrai péquiste, and he won't speak a word of the language of his oppressor. For those of you outside of Canada, péquistes are supporters of the Parti Québécois and support the province's separation from Canada. But this moment uncomfortably locates Lorena, who is not part of the oppressive framework except for the fact that, according to Marcel, she speaks the language of the oppressor. But speaking French for Lorena in the context of this relationship is yet another form of oppression, of being urged to adapt to another ideological system, one that is undone when she visits his family in Drummondville, who actually work toward communication with her in a way that is warm and encouraging. The process of racialization also inhabits her dream life. Well, actually, her nightmares. She has this recurring one about being perdu dans un plein de neige, lost in a plain of white snow. Her reference in terms of race is absolutely clear. Sidebar, this is possibly also a reference to Voltaire's early and disparaging reference to Canada's being nothing more than quelques arpents de neige. Why, Voltaire was insinuating, are England and France bothering to fight over that, a few acres of snow? Well, through her relationship with Marcel, she fantasizes about breaking the shackles of domination for all colonial subjects, and she initially does include the French in this assessment, and really anyone who has been subject to British domination. We share in spirit, she declares in the play, a desire to preserve what's left of our shattered identities. Eventually, however, she must part ways with Marcel. I won't explain why or what inspires the parting. I will mention that she remembers that she has had one more dream in which she realizes that there's another woman present who is basking fully nude in the sun. Gail slowly approaches her, observing how her feet are solidly planted on the ground and how at ease she feels with herself. And as this woman slowly turns around to face Gail, Gail realizes that the woman she's seeing is actually herself. So Gail seems to suggest to us through her recollections of her experiences and maturation in Quebec that those memories recalled in tenderness, anger, passion, and love these have facilitated the process of developing a sense of self-agency 
and of autonomy. She has found her place within Quebecois identity, a way to balance her competing senses of herself. The act of remembering, the agency in relation to remembering, is complicated, certainly. Whether she does it with friends, as she does in this play, or on her own, she consistently remarks on how much she craves, quote, the flowers of my past and long to taste again the city that I love to eat. I will devour Montreal, savoring each sweet and sour memory that bursts upon my tongue. Je me souviens, Gail asserts. I remember this city. I know it, and I love it, and I claim my place in it. In today's takeaway section, I'm going to refer to a collection of short pieces about the pandemic. Now, it is a book I co-edited, but I will say up front that I don't get anything out of doing this. It's simply a project I volunteered for as part of an organization, the Quebec Writers Federation, and a publisher, Guernica, and I took pleasure in and enjoyed very much the process of helping putting this book together. It's called Chronicling the Days. In fact, for this week's bonus episode, I've interviewed the current executive director of the Quebec Writers Federation, Lori Schubert. Well, last year, shortly after the pandemic began, the Quebec Writers' Federation decided to spearhead a project whereby they invited community members to submit short pieces of no more than 500 words. And in these pieces, they were documenting their daily experiences of the lockdown in Quebec. So again, titled Chronicling the Days and organized online by Rachel McCrum, it attracted about 100 contributions over the next couple of months by community members who recorded their loves and losses, despair and hope, humor and grief in relation to the lockdown. So those pieces were compiled and then yoked together with another series edited by Crystal Chan called Penning the Pandemic. Altogether, they were published as Chronicling the Days by Guernica Press in the spring of 2021. I have this information cited in the show notes. I was flipping through this book again recently and marveling really at how well these pieces capture at least my early impressions about what was happening to us collectively. Our collective fears, our anxieties, frustrations, bewilderment, grief. One piece by Ian Shaw, for example, traces his entrance into a grocery store at a time when we were still not wearing masks, but he was. And this decision at that time elicited suspicion because the injunction wasn't yet in place to mandate wearing masks in public. I had forgotten about that. And I shook my head in amazement at the fact that we were wandering around without them. So it's a good and fascinating book with a range of writers and experiences. And it will remind you when you feel ready to be reminded of what we went through collectively. So that's it for this week, dear listeners. Join me next week when I examine a story from Heather O'Neill's Daydreams of Angels called Messages in Bottles. Thanks for listening. That was Getting Lit with Linda, hosted by Linda Mora. If you have a topic you would like to see covered, write to us at gettinglitwithlinda at gmail.com. Until next time, we hope you continue to get lit.